You are listening to UBC Waco Podcast. <laughs> are you recording? Yeah. Oh, okay. We can use that as just a scratch track for now. So back in what I am calling uh, my evangelism days, I used to get really, really angry at the idea of the prosperity gospel. If you're not familiar with that term, it's very simple. You give to God, and God will give to you. I had all sorts of cute phrases as a 19-year-old that helped me dispel the if-this-then-that mentality. God is not a magic eight ball. God is not a genie. And I'm sure I said it just like that. God isn't a vending machine. Perhaps the most harmful phrase that I tossed around in those days, primarily directed internally, was God does not care about your happiness. God only cares about your holiness. As if God was such a simpleton that two things can't be going on at the same time in that big old cosmic head. The reason I can't stand or couldn't stand the prosperity gospel, apart from the fact that I sometimes wished that it actually worked like that, was because if someone was sold on the gospel because it was easy and it would give them things, they wouldn't stick around when following Jesus inevitably got hard. Considering the fact that in those days, I believed my primary purpose was to get as many people golden tickets into the afterlife as I could, the idea that someone would tear up said ticket when it got rough was terrifying to me. And honestly, it felt like a personal attack somehow. Following Jesus is awful, I would say. (laughs) Wonderful, worth it, but awful. The standards are beyond our reach, and you'll have to sacrifice and serve in ways you've never imagined, but oh, is it worth it? Evangelism, Andy, was a bit of a martyr, if you can't tell. Hindsight being what it is, I realize now that passages like our text today not only informed, but codified my theology on what it looks like to choose and share this faith. Revere serve, put away other gods, which in my early 2000s youth group were secular music, not kissing, dating goodbye, or anything that kept you from going to church every week, early service and Sunday school. Our summer youth intern's words are burned forever into my skull. Jesus died for you. You would think you could get out of bed for him. I read descriptions of God offered to us like this one in Joshua. You cannot serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. That is the farthest thing that I could imagine from the prosperity gospel at that time. In fact, that is some sort of dark anti-prosperity gospel. Terrifying, punitive, 
petty. Just not worth the risk if you aren't 1,000% in. That is the God that I knew. The God who would never shield you from the torment in this life, yet alone bless you with money, success, a new house, a smoking hot wife, a miracle cure for that unexpected diagnosis. So we have a couple of things going on here that might help us better understand where God might reside in the words of Joshua. My questions are always, what can we learn about God and what can we learn about ourselves? So first, a tad bit of context, because context matters. This chapter is the very last one in the book of Joshua. The whole narrative centers around Israel entering into the land that they would occupy and possess. The state of Israel's loyalty to God had been iffy at best. That is a theme throughout the entire Old Testament. And Joshua had gathered up the leaders of the tribes of Israel to issue an ultimatum. Serve God or don't. You do you, boo. But whatever you choose, know there is no going back. I get Joshua. I don't know if I'm proud of that, but I get Joshua. I understand him. I used to be a lot like him. 100% black or white, gray was my enemy. At the risk of projecting myself onto Joshua, I'd like to consider some of the reasons that might exist behind Joshua's big speech. There's some questions that we can ask of the text together today, some questions that we should perhaps ask. First, is Joshua representing God accurately? We have a litany of dialogue between God and Moses, but that dialogue is completely absent here. It could be that the dynamic between Joshua and God and Joshua and Moses is different. It could just be that the author of the book of Joshua had a different writing style and purpose than that of the author of Exodus. But regardless, we get to wonder if Joshua's perspective colored his call to the leaders of Israel. Question two, was Joshua scared of the repercussions if his people, the people under his watch and care, were to serve other gods? Would he be caught up in the wrath of the one he felt would not abide that kind of betrayal? As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Joshua makes that real clear where his loyalty lies. Maybe he doesn't want to risk being grouped in with those other guys who might choose something different. And my final question, what is Joshua's intent? This might be the most irresponsible question in existence when it comes to biblical interpretation. Clearly, we can't confirm or deny what Joshua was thinking. Guessing at someone's intent is really unhealthy relationally. It's like borderline unethical. It'll cause a fight every day of the week. But hey, Joshua's not here, so let's do it. <laughs> okay, okay. We might not be able to know for sure what Joshua is thinking. We might not know what Joshua is, Joshua is feeling, but 
What I can do today, what you can do today, is think about a time when you may have been in a similar place. I can share what I was thinking and what I was feeling when I was doing the thing that Joshua was doing. I remember my very first, let's call it a gospel presentation. I was working at a church that I had attended for seven years. I was brand new on staff and I had zero idea what I was doing. I was uh, leading a small group of high schoolers. We had just finished watching VeggieTales Jonah. Yes, I, um, I do realize that this is the second time in a very short span of me being here that I've talked about the VeggieTales Jonah movie. Technically, if I'm telling on myself, it's the third time uh, because when I candidated, I referenced it in the sermon I submitted. I should, I should probably self-reflect on that later today. <laughs> Maybe do a little inner work. We had just finished our movie. We were at an outdoor theater one of our congregants had in their backyard, which is dope. And we were sitting around a fire. It was my glorious moment, guys. I stood up. My heart was racing. I took my extensive notes. I stood in front of these seven teenagers, and I made my case for Christ, as it were. I asked these teens around the fire if they would like to put their faith and their trust in Jesus. They did not. (laughs) Or they already had. I don't know. Maybe they just didn't want to do it in front of their friends. Whatever the case, I went home after spending weeks of prayer and preparation completely defeated. I felt like a total failure. I felt like I didn't know how to serve God or have what it takes to do that. I decided I would probably just resign in the morning. And throughout the rest of the evening, that somehow transformed into God emphatically rejecting me. That God was going to take my students and hand them over to someone who was more compelling or more faithful or more prayerful, that God was disqualifying me and that I had been benched. Had I opened my mouth in that moment, it might have sounded a lot like Joshua. Had I described my perspective of God's impossible standards, my understanding of God's reactive nature in that moment, it may have sounded a lot like Joshua's. It is bewildering and humbling to me that he and I existed thousands of years apart, and yet we have so much in common. For all of our growth and our advancement, what truly changes when human nature is involved? How do we expand into a space where we believe that God is good and beautiful and close and gentle, even as we read the words written so perfectly by human nature? Words of fear, Severity, singularity. This week, I've been holding Joshua close. So close, he feels like a friend to me today. Joshua, who in the interweaving of humanity, is someone I consider a brother. We are united by a common existence on this earth. We existed or exist in the context of a family in the confines and context of faith and community. 
he, like you and me, was trying to figure out who this God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob is. And he, like you and like me, did what he could to put words, put words to the one who is somehow both incredibly close and completely beyond description. As I think about Joshua and his words that seem scary and harsh, I can't help but feel grateful. Kind of strange. Grateful because I have known his ways. Grateful because I have walked his path. I've had to choose for myself just who it was that I would serve. But Joshua's God seems small to me today. Though there is an impressive list of deeds in this text, I find myself unmoved by a divine force who will not forgive, who will turn and do harm to me, who will consume me, whose jealousy leads to destruction. I can't tell you how many times I have been asked how we can reconcile the God of the Old Testament with the God of the New. Evangelism, Andy, would say, well, they're the same God. And that would be the end of the story. How can we hear texts, read texts that contain genocide and slavery and unspeakable abuse against women and children? How can we say that the God that we love is the one who will bring good one day and then in an instant bring harm as Joshua describes? It's not an all-encompassing answer. It might not even be a satisfying one, but I can offer this. I reconcile Joshua's account of God the same way I reconcile my prior accounts of God. Evangelism Andy described what she believed to be true in a core place. And now that my perspective on God has shifted, so has my description. My path has always been the same. My path has taken me to the God that Joshua knew. I just happened to be on a different branch. So many of us have come to UBC because our path also mirrored that of Joshua's. We worshiped God with a trembling mix of fear and love and tried to untangle the difference. We took what we were offered, what we were taught, we ingested it and we handed it back to the world. And so did Joshua. Joshua did something rather remarkable. And I don't know if I, wouldn't, if I would have picked it up had I not spent so much time with him this week. He did what so many of us have done or tried to do. He took what he was handed and he made it just a little bit softer. Joshua offered an invitation in a way Moses never did. Joshua offered empathy to his people by acknowledging that they had a very difficult choice ahead of them. Joshua pushed them to understand what he believed to be true about God so that they would not come to the decision uninformed. Joshua showed care and compassion 
by laying out the terms of the agreement. Same path as Moses, just a different branch. It is easy, and that's an understatement, to get lost in the fear that Joshua's words may stir. It's brave, and it's hard, and it's important to see that we can take what we've been handed and find a new and more expansive way of seeing God. We can find value in our shared path. We can be so incredibly grateful that we are not constrained in the same way. We don't have to be pinned to the words that were recorded so long ago. We can take the example of a life lived in expansiveness. We can be just a little bit softer. We get to take Joshua's example, and we get to build on it. There is tension, so much tension, in holding on to the beautiful elements of your faith when you also have to leave behind elements that have been harmful. It wouldn't surprise me if Joshua felt that tension when he highlighted the fact that Abraham used to serve other gods. To me, that tension is a gift, and I've learned to appreciate its presence in my life. It keeps me grounded on the path that we share, that we share with those who came before me, who will come long after me. And if your path is new, if you don't have a legacy that you need to leave behind in any form, I would encourage you to go slow. Take some time, be thoughtful, befriend the tension of not having everything figured out quite yet. And then tell us about it. And we'll tell you our stories. We can find branches together. UBC, May we follow a new branch and still honor our connection. May we allow discovery and curiosity to lead us past the rhetoric of an insecure, petty, sectarian God. May we embrace a branch of faith that is characterized by sweeping divine love, that is marked forever by forgiveness, and it swells with grace each and every day. Amen. It is our practice and a gift to ourselves and one another to sit in silence, allow the Spirit to speak to us, to teach us something new, remind us of something old and true, to correct what I may have said incorrectly. As we do that in tandem and in community, may we be right, reminded that we are united in the love of the one who loves us beyond words.